Welcome back. Judd Winnick doesn't remember a time when he wasn't drawing. As a kid, he liked to copy his favorite comics, especially Garfield the Cat. When he grew up, DC Comics hired him to write stories for famous superheroes, including Batman and Green Lantern. But in the past few years, Judd Winnick has been creating graphic novels about a character from his own imagination, Hilo, also known as the boy who crashed to Earth. We're talking with Judd Winnick today about the Hilo series, which is now seven books strong, and how you too can turn your ideas into stories and comics. We also welcome the students of Danny Elementary School. Judd Winnick, welcome to the program. Good, and thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm trying to trying to keep from giggling on this end. Uh, <laughs> as as you warn, like, no grown-ups, just the kids. No ah. kids. I don't want to hear any, like... Uh, well, Hello, I'm uh, my name's my name's uh, Timmy. I'm nine. <laughs> I I do my share of giggling on this end too. We'll we'll get to your cartoons and books in a minute. But first, tell us about when you were a kid. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Long Island, New York. Uh, I grew up in uh, uh, in hindsight a pretty idyllic uh, suburban upbringing. We uh, my family uh, we were just about scraping middle class, you know, and uh, and and we did fine and. Uh, I'd say, in, in looking back, I went to uh, went to an excellent uh, an excellent school district, which really took care of me as a, as a budding little artist. Um, you know, I uh, I was I was very fortunate. I went to an amazing elementary school, junior high school, high school that had that still had art, um, mm. and my art teachers found me uh, right right out of the gate. You know, that for one hour a week in elementary school, we'd leave the classroom. It seems crazy now, <laughs> and you'd go and go to another classroom and do art projects once a week and. Uh, from wow. from there on, for years forward, uh, our teachers would find me, you know, and they knew I could draw a little bit better, and I'd get a little extra attention, a little extra projects. And as I got older, I realized how fortunate I was just to have that, just to have you know th- that that hour a week here or there. Uh, so it was wonderful. I, I you know I've I've very little to complain about growing up. You've been drawing as long as you can remember. Can remember. You also really liked comics. What did you love about them, and which were your favorites? Oh, just about everything. You know, I, I think my earliest memories of reading cartoons were, well, I, to, to, for our younger viewers, there were these things out there called newspapers, which were kind of like iPads made out of paper that had current events on them. Mm-hmm. You might have seen pictures. Yeah. So when I was a kid, the, the best, well, we, we had the funnies. We had comic strips, which were like two to three pages, you know, right there in the center of the paper. And it was like magic. Every day the newspaper would show up. And you had all this com- these comic strips. That's where my love for cartoons and storytelling really began. It began with Garfield and later Burke Breath in Bloom County. And uh, it was when I was, I don't know, six, seven years old, I'd already made the decision like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make comic strips. Uh, and somewhere after that, my dad, who grew up reading comic books, superhero comics, would, you know, toss a few of those on my lap. And, you know, thus began my relationship with Spider-Man and Superman and the X-Men and after that. And those are the ones that taught me how to draw. I would copy drawings right out of comic books and out of the, you know, the comic strip pages. And it also, you know, taught me how to storytell. Comic pages are still the first part of the newspaper I read every day. Yes. Um, when you were in college, a famous cartoonist you had always admired decided to become your mentor. Who was that, and what did you learn from her? That was Kathy Geiswhite, who... Um, <laughs> Some some of our, old, our older listeners might remember. So Kathy's strip, which came came to fame into the 1970s, and Kathy was one of maybe the first syndicated women to have a comic strip. Lynn Johnson did for better for worse was a little bit after her, just a little bit. Um, 
And Kathy went to the University of Michigan. And I literally was walking around my art school one day and I saw a poster saying, do you want to be part of the mentor program? Seek out a mentor. And I actually went to the dean of the art school and said, yeah, I'd love to talk to Kathy Geiswhite. Like, <laughs> she went here? It's like, yes, she went here. She went here and I want to talk to Kathy. And it was nuts because like a, a week and a half later, I'm on the phone with Kathy Geiswhite. And she's one of the biggest cartoonists in the, I mean, just in the whole wide world. And she was nice enough to chat and said like, yeah, send me your stuff. <laughs> so every month I would send her my college comic strip. And the end of the page was that by the time I, I was going to graduate, before I graduated, I had a development deal with the Universal Press Syndicate, and that was that had everything to do with Kathy, who literally marched it into uh, her boss's office and said, "Like, yeah, there's this college student that I know. You should you should syndicate him." And yeah, the deal well, fell through nine months later. <laughs> I was about to say, tell us what happened. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's one of those things. I mean, we learn from our failures. So they gave me a development deal, which was I was going to do the comic strip without being published. I was going to do my comic strip and send it to them every week to show I can make deadlines, to show the work was good. And uh, after about nine months into my one year, they decided my work wasn't as good. So <laughs> they decided, I think the official line was they didn't think it was up to the professional competitive standards of the syndicated market at this time. Um, and it could have just killed me. Uh, but it did Say again, sir? But it didn't. No, no. I mean, I was pretty full of myself. And I think everyone needs to get kicked in the pants and knocked to the ground a couple of times. And that was that was the first big one of my professional career. Um, What's your advice for when things don't go the way you hope? Oh, it's it's unfortunately. It's it's all the old adages. I don't have anything new to add to the conversation. It is the literal. You got to pick yourself up and get started again. I think the only thing I would would tap into would be you know, just what we were saying that you know getting knocked on your butt is not is not the worst thing in the world. It, it really isn't. You uh, you need those failures because it's the only way you're going to learn. And it's the only way you're going to appreciate your successes. Um, I think if you peak too early, um, you run into trouble. I think if you if you peak too early. Uh, you begin to like not look at yourself with a critical eye. I mean, I always go back to, there was this terrific interview with Branford Marcellus. I don't know, could have been 20 years ago, maybe more, where he was telling the story of a, a buddy of his who mentioned to him that he said to Branford, he said like, hey, must be great being at the top of your game. And Branford had said like, oh my God, I hope not. I hope not <laughs> top of my game. He said, I hope I've got, I've got a ways to go, I hope. Like, if this is it, if this, if this is the top of the ladder, this is the best I can do, I don't know. Because you always want to improve. So, you know, for everyone out there who's getting knocked down, for everyone who's just starting out, you should know we're always getting knocked down. We're always improving. I mean, I look, I've been doing the Hilo series for, I guess, about eight years now. Um, and I look at the first book and I look at the seventh book. And to get really specific, I draw better now. You know, I've gotten better at, like, you know, what the characters look like and, you know, how I'm putting things together. It just looks better. It's, and someone might not notice, but I do. <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. I look at the earlier books, and I'm supposed to wince a little bit here and there. I'm supposed to look at the earlier work and go, like, ooh, that's could have done a little bit better with that. You're supposed to. <laughs> You're supposed to fail a little bit. On to the callers, kid callers, sure. many from Janney Elementary School. We'll start with 11-year-old Becca. Becca, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, my name is Becca, and I go to Janny. My question for you, Mr. Winnick, is what inspired you to write Gina, the girl who, break, who broke the world? 
<laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm giggling because Becca, thank you for calling in. Just I don't want to embarrass you by saying it like that. This is just the cutest thing in the whole world. Okay, we'll blow past <laughs> that. Um, so yeah, um, the first six Hilo books. Uh, the series is called Hilo, and Hilo is our hero. He's the one with the superpowers, and mm-hmm. he gets backed up by his buddies Gina and DJ. With the seventh book, we pivot. And Gina is now our hero who's at the center of it with the, with the powers and the magic. And uh, DJ and Hilo are backing her up. And for me, this, it, it, this, the book series has always been about the three of them. It's always been about Hilo, Gina, and DJ, you know, revolving around the three of them. And they all play their parts. And for me, I just, I just saw this story going this direction. I just thought it was, like, it was an interesting way to go. That I think I fi- we, we finished this big story arc with Hilo. And I think it just fed naturally into, like, let's tell one where Gina's at the center of it. And I'd always, Gina's cool. And Gina, Gina's got powers. And Gina can do things. So let's, let's let her drive the car for a little while. That's what I thought, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I, I could go on and I, I can go on and tell you about that, like, oh, I thought it'd be fun to have a female protagonist. I, you know, uh, that uh, I've got a 12-year-old daughter here who, uh, you know, um, who wanted to see Gina in there. And she did, but I'd say my, my, my 12-year-old daughter likes Polly, who's this anthropomorphic cat. That's probably her favorite character. But I think Gina just became, as I did it, a rich and interesting character, and I thought it would be kind of fun to put her in the driver's seat. Thank you for your call, Becca. On to 11-year-old Daphne. Daphne, your turn. Hi. Hi. Go right ahead, Daphne. Um, my question is, what was something from Hilo that was, or is there something from Hilo that's based off something that actually happened in your life? Well, that's funny. It's a, it's a great question because, you know, at the center of it, it is a, it is a boy who flies, who shoots lasers out of his hands, and a girl who makes sticks that shoots magic. So <laughs> it, it, is, it is not really reality-based. But I will tell you this, it's... The three characters that our story revolves around, Hilo, Gina, and DJ, are all well, kind of based on my life in, in, in small ways. Like, DJ is very much based on me when I was a kid. I was a very self-conscious kid. I was a very nervous kid, and I put a lot of that into DJ. We're different that in when everybody gets into trouble, DJ is the first one to jump in to help. He's incredibly brave and forgets about everything when his friends are in trouble. And Gina is very much based on my wife, Pam. Um, because a lot of stories I would read, if, if a girl character was smart she wasn't cool and if she was cool she wasn't smart well my wife is both smart and cool she's a doctor she's so she's brilliant uh and she's extremely cool she still colors her hair crazy colors she's got a big blue streak <laughs> in her hair right now and she used to be in a rock band she's be on tv she's ridiculously cool so i wanted that for gina they're similar in so many ways like they both love astronomy they both like you know read lots of books you know they love they love school i mean they, they're similar in those ways and Hilo is very much the best friend I always wanted. Like I said, I was a nervous kid. Um, I would have loved to have had a best friend who would have turned to me and said, come on, let's go do this crazy thing. And I would have said, no, I, I definitely do not want to do that crazy thing. And a buddy would say, I don't care. We're going to do it anyway. Let's go. I would have loved someone dragging me along to do something. So in that way, they're very much part of my, you know, who, who I am and what my life's about. Thank you very much for your call, Daphne. Judd, earlier you talk about your... Your drawing skills, you think, getting better. Well, seven-year-old Boaz asks, and, Seb, and Boaz says he and his sister, Mirav, love the Hilo books. He asks, how do you draw hair so well? 
Can you give us? Can you give us some tips? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's like you know how do you get Carnegie Hall? Practice, man, practice. Um, yeah, that unfortunately is the answer. I will tell you this, okay, okay. Uh, I mean, the, the way the way I learned how to draw, first and foremost, and still do, is that I copy other artists. Um, I don't. I, I don't look at. I honestly, I don't look at like real kiddos' hair. And say like, let me draw Hilo's hair to look like because I'm not drawing from life. I'm doing a very cartoony, stylized version. The key word is stylized. So go look at other cartoons how they do it, you know. And I do it very, very simply. I mean, uh, a lot of my work looks like Peanuts. You know, Charles Schultz is the comic strip mm-hmm. Peanuts, and Calvin and Hobbes, or rather, I aspire to look like that. Um, and I kind of look how it's like they might do things. Like we're all doing, we're all doing the same feet. I'll tell you that. Like the feet, the, the the feet on the characters from the Peanuts and from Calvin Hobbes, we all do these. The, all their feet look like bread loaves. I think that's what what Charles Schultz had said. Uh, they all look like little, little chunks of bread. Um, and hair, just look at hair from other like like cartoons and not complex ones. Go find the simple ones and just copy them. And after a while, if you copy them a bunch of times, you'll start doing it on your own and it'll become your own. You'll start doing it from memory. So yeah, copy and practice. Here is. 11-year-old Annika. Annika, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. My question is, what makes you come up with your, your drawings and like, what inspiration do you have? What inspires me to make my drawings? And I, and I guess I have my stories, too. Well, for one, I have no other usable skills. This is, <laughs> this, this is pretty much it. Um, but uh, I think what, what inspires me means a couple of things over. I'm inspired by other people's work. I talk about this often, that you know, we learn by doing, we learn by copying. So uh, when you first start out, it is okay to copy other people's drawings. And I'll go even further. It's okay to copy other people's stories. Now, I'm not exactly talking about stealing ideas, but there's a lot of stories that just have the building blocks of, of storytelling and characters, and it's okay to borrow from them. Like a good example, like Star Wars and Harry Potter, they're basically the same story. It's about a kid who, is, who aspires to, like, you know, to live a, like a more interesting life, and he lives with his aunt and uncle, and he meets a powerful wizard, you know, that's <laughs> both Dumbledore and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he comes from this powerful, magical family, Darth Vader, you know, and the Potters. They're, like, they're so similar. They're like the same story. So I'd say look to things you love and try to emulate them. Don't copy, exactly. But, you know, it's like it's okay to take a story like a Harry Potter or a Star Wars. It's like, well, let me change this and make... I'll make this character a girl, and it won't be space. It'll be like, you know, it'll be like underground, and maybe there'll be like rabbits. <laughs> and let me take it from there. And it won't be magic. They'll be able to make machines. But everything else will be the same. Here is 10-year-old Alexandra of Janney Elementary School. Alexandra, your turn. Hello, my name is Alexandra. Um, can you hear me? Yes, I can, kiddo. Okay, um, and my question is, what is your favorite part about all of the different characters in Hilo? And I am in fifth grade. What is my favorite part? Well, to be honest with you, it's a little bit right now, just like this. Um, well, look, when I was your age, when I was like 9, 10, 11 years old, uh, I, used to, I used to make things up and draw them while I half-watched television. <laughs> now I'm 51. And I make things up, and I draw them while I half-watch television. That's my job. So it's, you know, awesome. You know, it's really, I, I, don't, I often joke, and it's, but it's mostly true that I live like a 10-year-old. Uh, but what I also love is, like, you know, I'm talking right now from my studio. 
you know, and I live in uh, I live in San Francisco, California, and I will, you know, I make things up and I draw them, and it goes out in the world, and then I can talk to kiddos. I love when I get to go to visit schools and uh, and bookstores and whatnot and meet kiddos, and the things that I thought up of my in my basement studio here, and I put down on paper, they go out there in the world, and I get to talk to you all about it. It's a little bit, I swear to you, I'm not trying to be all kind of artsy-fartsy about it, but it's, it's a little bit magical. You know, the things that come up with my head and I put down a paper that it goes out into the world there, and then we get to talk about it. And a lot of times I meet kids and they, get, and they, they apologize for being overly excited about telling me something. And I said, like, no, 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 no. I get excited about it too. That's why I made it. I don't make the stories go like, yeah, it's kind of boring, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, no, I tell these, I tell these stories because I think they're funny and exciting. And I am just... Pleased as punch when you all are just as excited too. So a lot of my favorite part is actually meeting people who's had an opportunity to read my stories, got something from it, and maybe you want to make their own. That's the best part. Thank you very much for your call, Alexandra. 11-year-old Grera Jenny emails, when you were making the Star Wars of Valentine's Story comic, how did you, how did you feel about being part of something that big? Also, your Hilo series is super great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, for one, thank you for the second part. To explain the first part, yeah, I had the opportunity to write one Star Wars comic. And uh, a buddy of mine, uh, she was a big shot editor at Dark Horse Comics and said, like, hey, we've got this, uh, uh, basically this pitch from, uh, from, from Lucas Publishing that they want to do. Someone should tell a story about that comes in between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Because in between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, Han Solo and Princess Leia seem to like each other. Something seems to have happened that we've like skipped a couple of steps. They seem to have like, have a spark between them that they already have a big old crush on each other. And we'd like you to write that story. And I just almost fell over dead. Just, <laughs> I'll even be honest. I was in my car when I was talking to my friend Diana, and I said, "Listen, I got to pull over." I said, I, I said, if we're going to talk about this, i got to pull over. I said, they, they want me to write this story? It's like, yeah. It's like, oh my, oh my gosh. I don't, okay. So it was both overwhelming and just such a delight. And, it, and it, I, I actually had to sit on it for a week because I had no idea what to do. And then I actually watched the first 15 minutes of The Empire Strikes Back. And I had forgotten, like, oh, they fight all the time. Right. Okay. <laughs> And then the story took me like 25 minutes to write. After that, I just like, oh, okay, I just, got, I just figured out the rhythm of it. Like, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was an honor and a privilege, and I won't lie to you. I think about that story all the time. <laughs> wow. I do. I'm still very proud of it. It's just a 30-page story that I, that I did, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe longer. But it was a blast. Because a lot of this stuff, when, when you get to write superhero comics or you get to you know, do Star Wars, it's 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 fan fiction like i'm a fan and i'm a kid who gets to play with all the big toys it really is it really is here now is eight-year-old ripkin from Janie elementary ripkin you're on the air go ahead please um my name is ripkin i'm eight years old and my question is what inspired you to write your stories to write what to write your stories. Oh, my stories. Well, sp specifically with Hilo, uh, my son, my son's 15 now. And about eight years ago, when he was seven, doing the quick math, he, um, 
I was in the I, I was writing a bunch of superhero comics at the time, including Batman. And he was seven years old and he came to me and he wanted to read my comics. He wanted to read Batman. And I had to tell him, Oh no, no, you may not read Batman. <laughs> Too dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was it was most as I explained to him. I was like, You're seven and those are mostly for it's mostly for teenagers and grown ups. So we poked around for a series that would be good for him. And the one we landed on that I really loved was a series called Bone by cartoonist Jeff Smith. And my son went just bananas for it. Just loved it. Now, I happen to know Jeff Smith. He's a good friend of mine. So I told Jeff, my son, I went bananas for it. And then Jeff sent us this gigantic box of Bone merchandise. <laughs> T-shirts and hats and posters and calendars and action figures. Like, like tons of stuff. And so there my son is, just the biggest Bone super fan. Like everything in his world. And I had to step back from that and realize, like, I'm getting a little bit jealous <laughs> that he's liking this, this cartoon so much. So with that is when I first started to sit down and like, you know what? I think I want to do, I want to do a story for him. I want to write and draw a story that he would like. Because at the time, superhero comics really weren't geared towards uh, kiddos. And, and I actually spent a good decade myself making superhero comics kind of dark and gritty and not for younger readers. <laughs> so I wanted to make an all-ages comic that my son would dig, that I would like doing, and that could kind of put it out there. You know, a comic for like when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, everybody could read everything. So part of my inspiration was I wanted to tell a story for my son because I got jealous of Bone. So there. <laughs> <laughs> Here is 10-year-old Somadi in Annapolis, Maryland. Wait a second. Somadi, are you there? Let me try Somadi again. Somadi, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. So... Uh, where did you get the names for the characters from? Where did you get the names? Well, I don't name the characters right away. I actually get to know, I kind of get to know them a little bit. Uh, like Gina felt like a Gina, DJ felt like a DJ. Hilo, it took me a little while to figure that one out because I wanted it to be like, like a different name, one that isn't typical. And I was early on, I was writing this scene where DJ was talking to, well, Hilo before he was even named and he got very poetic and he, he said, you know, he was talking about when Hilo first came to Earth. Like, yeah, you fell out of the sky. You came up from way up on high and you were brought down low. And honestly, when I wrote that sentence, something clicked in my head like high and low. I kind of like the poetry of that. <laughs> it, and, uh, you know, so I put the two words together like Hilo. And so I, I messed around with it for about a week. It's like, yeah, I think his name is Hilo. So the quick answer is like, where did I get the name Hilo? DJ told me. So <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my characters cooked it up. Eight-year-old Emmeline from Missillinger's third grade class at Janney Elementary asks, what is your favorite character draw in Hilo? Uh, McKinnon, another third grader, has that same question. We only oh, have about a minute left. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't have a favorite. Um, I'm all over the place. You know, it depends. Like, you know, um, uh, you know it, I, I mean, I've, I've designed them all in a way that, that, that's, that it's fun for me. I will say, I always like drawing the characters when they are yelling. <laughs> so if you look through Hilo, when their big old mouths are open, like yes. that's when I'm happiest. <laughs> Lot of yelling. Judd Vinnick is a cartoonist and author of the New York Times best-selling Hilo series. Thanks so much on joining us on Koja for Kids, Judd. Sir, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
Kojo for Kids with cartoonist Judd Winnick was produced by Lauren Marco. And our conversation about the latest on Amazon's Northern Virginia HQ2 was produced by Ines Renike. Coming up tomorrow, the Cherry Blossom Festival is happening, even though the pandemic will force it to go virtual. When did the district's obsession with cherry blossoms begin? We'll talk about the history and the science behind the flower and some of the best places to see them. Then, did you hear the buzz? Cicadas are coming back. We hear from Mike Ropp, a.k.a. AKA Bug Guy, about what to expect. That all starts tomorrow at noon, and I want to take a second to wish a happy birthday to Kenny Pirock, our engineer extraordinaire. He makes sure the Kojo Namdi show is, well, easy on the ears. Happy birthday, Kenny. Until tomorrow at noon, thank you for listening, and stay safe. I'm Kojo Namdi. The Kojo Nambi Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Granning, Lord Marco, Kurt Gardiner, Richard Cunningham, and Ines Redike. Our managing producer is Ingalisa Schropsdorf. Our broadcast engineer is Rashad Young. Today's engineer was Kenny Pirock. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org. Thanks for listening to the Kojo Namdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the donate button, and thanks.